0: started with this thought in my opinion every great movie has a great tagline right so I'm going to give you a tagline see if you can give me the movie ready a long time ago in a galaxy far far away (laughs) okay you'll never go in the water again very nice Dace. very nice or how about just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water? Yeah, not a great not a great not a great movie, but we scare because we care. Well done. Well done. Last one. Why so serious? The Dark Knight, yep. Well done you guys. Good job. Good job. My contention is is that if the Bible had a tagline it could be God with us, and that's the that's the name of God that we're gonna we're gonna look at today. Um, and Leanne referred to the um, that Jesus is mentioned in the same passage, so it's a little bit confusing, but we're gonna we're gonna unpack all of that stuff as we get there. Um, we're gonna look at the Christmas account. We're heading into the Christmas season, right? Everybody's getting excited of the birth of Jesus found in Matthew. Jesus' birth is found in Matthew and Luke, and it's kind of alluded to from a theological perspective in the Gospel of John, and Mark just jumped right to Jesus' active ministry and didn't, didn't cover Jesus' birth. But this one comes from Matthew chapter 1. Some context for us, right? It had been hundreds of years since God's people had heard from God, either through uh, one of his prophets or an uh, angelic visitation. The people of God were living under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And sometimes we, there's this historic phrase called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But it's a misnomer, right? Roman peace was brought about by violence and subjugation. And the Jewish people were subject to that. Matthew, the author of this book, Jewish man, but he was, prior to meeting Jesus, a tax collector, which meant... He worked for the Roman Empire. Nearest equivalent I could come up with was a 1940s German Jewish person working for the Nazis. Right, that's where Matthew was coming from. And Jesus came upon him and says, "Like, come with me. Let's go have dinner at your house." And turned his life upside down. And then Matthew chronicled his experiences with Jesus because Matthew is Jewish. He's writing to a Jewish audience, and he starts. Matthew chapter 1 starts with the genealogies, all the crazy names from the Old Testament, and he goes from the beginning, and he gets, to, he gets to Jesus. And then this is where we pick up the text, right after that genealogy. Matthew's concern is helping his people make the connection between all the prophecies and everything that happened in the Old Testament to Jesus. Right? Okay, so here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary... you save people from sins it actually means Yahweh saves and if you guys remember we've been we keep talking about that passage in Exodus chapter 34 where God names himself He says the lord the lord gracious and com- gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in love remember that that should be ringing a bell that the name that is associated with all of that is yahweh jesus means yahweh saves that's his given name but then it goes on to and they will call him Emmanuel. Jesus is the name. Emmanuel is a nickname. Right? It's kind of like all the other passages we've been talking about. Yahweh is the name God gave himself. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is peace. The Lord is my shepherd. Everlasting Father. Everlasting God. All of those are other names for God. So this is Jesus and his, the nickname, which means God with us. So in this in this brief four or five verses, there's a lot of miraculous things happening. There's an angelic visitation. There's Joseph's response, which in Bible study on Friday we were talking about. His response is pretty much miraculous. He hears from an angel. He wakes up and he just does what the angel told him to do. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's the the virgin birth, right? So I think if we spend some time digging into Emmanuel, God with us, the rest of those things will come into, into clearer view. And so where we start is Emmanuel. It, it's mentioned um, in here, if I can get it to move. Nope, where'd he go? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. So Matthew is making the connection from the Old Testament A man named Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet around 739, 740 B.C., hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah's job was to bring messages of both judgment and hope to the people of Israel, specifically to their leaders. And uh, Isaiah had hard messages that he had to deliver to the people and and to the leaders. And sometimes he drove the kings crazy. Jewish tradition has it that um, King Manasseh actually had Isaiah sawn, sawn in two. Is that the past tense of saw? Sawn, sawed in two. Right. That's like <coughs> Isaiah um, died for for his faith for the messages that he was delivering. So he's having a conversation. A couple generations, couple of kings prior to Manasseh, he's talking to a king named Ahaz or Ahaz. and. Isaiah says to the king, "Ask the Lord for a sign. The Lord is telling me to, at, to tell you to ask Him for a sign." And Ahaz gets all self-righteous, and he's like, "Oh no, 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 we're not supposed to ask God for a sign." So this is where we pick up the text in, in Isaiah. Then Isaiah said, "Here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah is letting the king know there's a couple of armies bearing down on the Jewish people. And Isaiah is letting the king know that God is going to take care of the people He's going to protect them, both in the short term and in the long term. Matthew, 700 years later, points to this prophecy and says, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of, of that protection, he will save people from their sins. He is God with us. He is God with us. Now we could just kind of let that roll off the tongue. Nice Christmas story, fun manger, shepherds, all of it. But if we spend some time with this idea of God with us, I think those other pieces, like I was saying, will kind of come into view. But we have to do a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of work with um, these things. Want to talk about the historical Jesus, Old Testament prophecy, Jesus the man is God, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus will return. Like, that's the, that's the, the big picture where we're going. The New Testament is some of the best um, attested to writing from antiquity, from the ancient world. We have better manuscript documentation for the Old Testament, or the New Testament, sorry, than we do for a lot of other other things. However, I get, I get the point of like, well, the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, right? So what I wanted to do was I wanted to, I'm going to share with you one quote that lists six, seven historians, ancient historians who are not from the Bible that attest to Jesus and what he was and what he did when he was alive. <coughs> Let's summarize what we've learned about Jesus from this examination of ancient non-Christian sources. First, And all these guys' names, these are all ancient historians. First, both Josephus and Lucian indicate that Jesus was regarded as wise. Second, Pliny, Pliny, the Talmud, the Talmud is some ancient Jewish writings that are outside the Bible, and Lucian imply he was a powerful and revered teacher. Third, both Josephus and the Talmud indicate he performed miraculous feats. Fourth, Tacitus, Josephus, the Talmud, and Lucian all mention that he was crucified. Tacitus and Josephus say that this occurred under Pontius Pilate, and the Talmud declares it happened on the eve of Passover. Fifth, there are possible references to Christian belief in Jesus' resurrection in both Tacitus and Josephus. Sixth, Josephus records that Jesus' followers believed he was the Christ or Messiah. And finally, both Pliny and Lucian indicate that Christians worshiped Jesus as God. If we never had the New Testament... If all we had were the secular, ancient historians from that time, that we would know this about Jesus. And from this alone, we say, hmm, maybe I should figure out who Jesus is. And if he is, what he says he is. Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. There's a lot of them, right? But I wanted to, I'm just going to give you a high-level kind of look at what the Old Testament says about who Jesus would be and what, what he would do. Genesis 3.15, um, that he would, evil would be defeated by the offspring of Eve, right? That's Jesus. All nations will be blessed by the offspring of Abraham when God makes his covenant, when Abraham, he says, I will bless all peoples through you. Um, the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. That's within the, the nation of Israel. It's getting more and more specific. Uh, and the eternal king will come from David's line. And as you look at those genealogies in Matthew and Luke, all of this stuff lines up with what these prophecies say. <clears throat> and the inspired writers of the New Testament are the ones who tell us that we can look back at these Old Testament prophecies and see that they point forward to Jesus. Matthew in the passage we just read, in the book of Acts, in the book of, of Galatians. Right, I'm going fast to, to cover like, this. This is just a, a lot of stuff. Jesus, the man, is God, right? So if we're going by the name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, it's important to know that the people who walked the earth with him considered him to be God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, Jesus has always existed. Before time, before creation, he was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in eternity past. He is the image of the invisible God if we ever get screwed up and turned around and are kind of lose our bearings when it comes to God, we look at Jesus and we can know that's exactly what God is. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's not some Photoshop's put-together piece. Like This is exactly who and what God is. That's from... from the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' closest friends, from Colossians, that's Paul, and then from the book of Hebrews, a book written to the Jewish people to remind them of exactly, exactly who Jesus is. Jesus the man is God. So I know it's Christmas time, right, but we got to do a little bit of Easter in order to get our our brain around um, Emmanuel, God with us. There have been lots of great teachers lots of really impactful people throughout the world's history, right? Socrates, Confucius, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., all great people, great teachers made big impact. None of them rose from the dead, right? This is, here's here's where the rubber kind of meets the road, right? Where Jesus, all his great teachings are affirmed and confirmed in his resurrection. And just like there are Um, extra-biblical sources from secular scholars that point to this. I I grabbed a verse from 1 Corinthians, but at the same time, I wanted to let you know that there is a, a set of scholarly work called the Minimal Facts Theory. And it's basically the facts that critical scholars, scholars critical of the Bible, refer to that say the tomb was empty on that first Easter. Right? So even people who are atheists, don't like, try to disprove the Bible, they will all say, they won't say why or how or whatever, but they say that, that the tomb was, was empty. And then we have this from Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Cephas is also is another name for Peter. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Um, that's Paul's kind of wonky way of referring to himself and how he came to came to know know Jesus. Jesus dies, he rises again, and he ascends to heaven. And upon his departure... Everybody who comes to call on the name of Jesus, who believes in him, who comes to Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for the power to live, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who walks with us. He's with us. So much of Christianity is under this umbrella of already but not yet. And in Jesus' death and resurrection... We see the beginnings of the defeat of sin and death and evil. And its outworkings are through us, through the church, right? That's how it happens now. We battle sin and evil through the power that Jesus gives us, right? Through the Holy Spirit who resides in us. But we will not fully experience that d- the defeat of evil, sin, and ultimately death until Jesus returns, right? And that, that is a huge, huge thing. Last reference for you. This is from the book of Revelation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be with his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God with us. God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain the old order of things has passed away. The entire story of the Bible is the story of God and his people, of God with us. God with Adam and Eve. Right? They screwed up. God doesn't that's not a big enough obstacle to keep God from wanting to be with his people. Right? God with Abraham, God with Abraham's family, God with the nation of Israel. God was with when he was with Moses and the people of Israel early on he was in a tent and then when the people settled in the promised land the holy of holies the place where God resided was in the middle of a ornate huge temple Jesus comes and walks with us as God for us God with us Jesus dies rises again ascends to heaven the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us because now we are the temple. Jesus reside Jesus with us, God with us. And ultimately, Jesus will return and we will walk directly with him again for all eternity with nothing in the way. The tagline for the Bible is God with us. All right, he wants to be with us. He's for us. God didn't need humanity for anything. He created humanity for relationship with him. He wanted to be with us. So <clears throat> the implications, the impact of the idea of God with us are manifold and they're huge. And I, I, I'm There's just way too many for me to even begin to maybe this, maybe that, right? But if Jesus really is God with us, then we can confidently, we can confidently turn to him for forgiveness and for faith. Right? If Jesus really is God with us, we can make him the center of our lives. We can make him the thing that we organize everything else around, and as we do that, other people who are doing the same thing, we're drawn closer to each other. If Jesus really is God with us, our nine to five, our classwork, our practice with our teammates, our neighborhood, our lawn mowing, our laundry folding, all of that can be just as much of a response to God as your participation on Sunday morning. If Jesus is God with us, we really can love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Jesus is God with us and he wants you to be with him. So, with that being said, I would leave you with this. What's one thing that you could do today maybe this week, or maybe not do, that Jesus really is God with us. What's one thing that you can do to live like that really is the truth? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word, which continues to speak to us. Thousands of years later, thank you for its consistency. Thank you for the sources outside of it that help us understand uh, what's in it and, and point to its truth. But most of all, Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. You're happy to be with us. You're for us. That you didn't consider our sin and our shortcoming and our flaws too big a problem to be overcome Jesus we ask that you would make us the kind of people who live like you really are with us and people who live with the hope of a future that we're directly with you again we thank you for the gift of Emmanuel that you are God with us We love you, Jesus, and we thank you.